Section 119 of China, Japan, and the Islands of the Pacific. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in February 2018. The World's Story, Volume 1 China, Japan, and the Islands of the Pacific. Edited by Eva March Tappan section one hundred nineteen how to learn japanese by rev m l gordon m d the young missionary starts to his field filled with enthusiasm and elated by the thought of preaching christ's salvation to those who have never heard the good news of god he may not actually entertain the idea so commonly heard at home that his first work on landing will be to repeat the old old story to the astonished but receptive natives as they kneel in homage at his feet he may think of his lack of knowledge of the language as an obstacle to immediate preaching but he has doubtless been encouraged to regard this obstacle as of a very temporary character and he indulges the pleasing hope that a few weeks or a few months at the farthest will find him speaking like a native when he reaches his destination, however, his complacency receives a terrible shock. Geographically speaking, he is now near the people whom he hopes to teach, but as far as actual teaching is concerned, a broader ocean than the Pacific still rolls between him and them. As he listens to the shouts of the boatmen who crowd around his ship, or the chattering of the jinrikisha men while they draw lots for the privilege of carrying him to his hotel, he understands, as never before, why the Russians call foreigners the dumb, the speechless, and say even of modern English travellers, Look at these people, they make a noise but cannot speak. And he is ready, without further investigation, to call the Japanese barbarians, in the sense that the Greeks used the word barbaros, that is, as designating all who spoke a language unintelligible to themselves. The language, the language, what an alpine barrier to all communication with the people he would teach. There are, it is true, a few, a gradually increasing number, who understand English, and, eager for immediate results, he may confine himself to these, or he may use one of these English-speaking Japanese as an interpreter in preaching to others. With the American theological student, who felt that he had a special call to labor among educated young ladies, as a precedent, why should he not choose some such restricted work? Or he may imitate the example of Scotland's most famous missionary to the Chinese, who, even before he reached his destination, attempted to teach the doctrine of the atonement to the boatmen who came alongside the ship by going through the motions of washing a garment but if he be too wise to depend upon such imperfect methods unless he has gone there for some special work such as the teaching of english determine that even the alps shall not keep him out of italy and so procuring the best books on the subject and engaging the best available living teacher he will tackle the language in real earnest and this will seem but the beginning of his troubles if he secure a teacher who understands english he will find himself talking in english about the japanese language 
learning something of the science of the language, perhaps, but making little or no progress in the art of speaking it. Most probably he will be teaching ten times as much English to his teacher as he learns Japanese from him. On the other hand, if he employs a teacher who knows no English, the result will be two persons together in a room with no knowledge of each other's language and no means of communication except signs and the Japanese English dictionary, striving to see which can the sooner tire out and disgust the other. Our friend begins in a concrete way by inquiring the names of the most familiar things about the house, using the one sentence given him by an older missionary. Kore wa nani tomoshimasu ka? What is this? In answer to his question, he is told that the rice on the table is called meshi. All vowels, it should be remarked, have the continental pronunciation. Rejoicing in this knowledge, he begins making sentences. I eat meshi. The little child likes meshi. No, says his mentor. In speaking of a child's rice, it is better to use the word mama. The child likes mama. Undiscouraged, the student tries again. Do you eat meshi? When his teacher stops him and tells him that it is polite, in speaking to another of his having or eating rice, to call it gozen. Having taken this in, he goes on with his sentence building. The merchant sells gozen. When the teacher again calls a halt and tells him that meshi and gozen are used for cooked rice only, and that for unboiled rice, kome is the proper word. Feeling that he is now getting into the secrets of the language, he says, kome grows in the fields, when he is again stopped with the information that growing rice is called ine. He next picks up a carpenter's rule and is told that the foot measure is called shaku. He is glad to find that it is just about twelve inches in length, but is nonplussed when he learns that the tailor's shaku measures fifteen inches. His perplexity increases on finding that when he sends for a kin, pound, of beef, he gets five-sixths of an avoirdupois pound. If he sends for a kin of flour, he gets one and one-third pounds, while if he purchase a kin of sugar, it is within a small fraction of two pounds. In starting on a journey, he is told that one ri is equal to two and one-half English miles. But if in passing through certain districts, he be puzzled because of the unexpectedly long distances, he may be told that there it takes three and a half miles to make a ri. On the other hand, in ascending Fuji and other mountains, the traveller often finds that the real distance is only about one-half of that marked on the milestones, because as he is gravely told, the ascent requires a double amount of exertion. He finds all of the provinces and some cities with two names each, and the country now divided into prefectures, with still different names, while, till very recently, the main island of Japan had no name whatever. Filled with dismay and despair at the confusion into which his teacher has introduced him, he turns for relief to the books on the language prepared by European scholars, and reads for his encouragement from the latest authority upon the subject such sentences as these. Japanese nouns have no gender or number. 
japanese adjectives no degrees of comparison japanese verbs no persons strictly speaking there are but two parts of speech the prepositions are postpositions most sentences are subjectless it is not that the subjects are dropped but still understood as in other languages they do not exist in the mind of the speaker the japanese language abhors pronouns the verb is often omitted the normal japanese sentence is a paragraph the order of the words is often the exact reverse of that in english thus to give rice to a beggar would in japanese be kojiki ni meshi wo yaru beggar to rice give still further the japanese do not write as they speak but use an antiquated and partially artificial dialect whenever they put pen to paper End of section 119